Well, uh, welcome once again. I, I was standing over here thinking a minute ago, this is why I, I write things down and stick to notes and everything. I didn't mention, um, Pastor Rich is retiring, but he is going to stick around as a volunteer. I didn't, I didn't mention that, so I, I, he, he is going to be around. Um, you can expect to see him. I, uh, I was sitting over here thinking, I'm like, I never mentioned that. Um, anyways, he, he is going to be around as, as a volunteer, and uh, we're very grateful for, for that. All right, now that that's aside, that doesn't count as my time. That's, that's separate from what, what I'm doing this morning. Um, so this morning, we begin a new series. We begin a new series called The Heart of the Father, and there are many places that we could go to throughout the Bible to look at the heart of the Father, but we are going to spend some time over the next really couple months in Luke chapter 15 looking at the heart of the Father from this beautiful chapter, which is my favorite passage in the entire Bible. I may say that most weeks, but this really is one of my my favorite passages from the entire Bible. And I want to begin this morning just kind of setting the stage for this passage, for this series, for what we're going to be looking at. And I want to begin by reading the first two, uh, the first two verses of this passage. I believe they kind of lay out pretty clearly the heart of the Father. It says in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. God, I thank you for your heart. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love for us. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, reveal to us your heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. See, when there, there are two passages that are very difficult to preach. There are those that are well-known and those that are unknown. Both of those passages are pretty difficult to preach because in the unknown passages, you spend so much time setting the stage, building context, trying to get everybody uh, on board and on track with where you're at and where you're going that it's, it's difficult to actually get into what you want to preach, right? And then the other side, the well-known passages are very difficult because everybody knows them, and so you begin to preach them in your head before I have a chance to preach them to you, and so you, you ignore what I'm saying because you have a preconceived idea of where this, this message is going, and Luke chapter 15 is one of those very, very well-known passages that we have the tendency to say, okay, that's what this is about. I'm not, I'm not going to tune in. I'm going to start thinking about lunch. I'm going to start looking ahead for that. But, but I ask you during this series, please don't, don't do that. Please don't, don't tune out what is being said. Please don't look beyond this. Don't already preach the message to yourself that you believe I'm going to preach to you. Listen with new wonder at the word of God. Approach this passage like you don't already know this passage. See, in this, this passage this morning, we're going to see 
Uh, we're going to see three, three things in this passage this morning. We're, we're going to see scandalous dinner guests. We're going to see a, a redefining of the gospel. And then we're going to see an unlikely friendship as we, we look through this this morning just to set the stage for where Jesus is taking us here in Luke chapter 15. Like I said, this is a very famous passage. This is a passage known as the story of the, the prodigal son, right? Most of us have, have heard of this story of the prodigal son. That phrase prodigal is not, is not something that is just confined to the church. It is used in popular culture, meaning somebody who has rebelled, somebody who has run away, somebody is off doing their own thing, the prodigal son. You've heard that the prodigal son returns, right? We've, we've, we've heard that many, many times. And so, so when we preach this, this passage, often we preach this we preach this through the lens of it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can always return and the Father will welcome you back in, right? That's what we, what we preach this passage as and that is there. Don't, don't hear me say that that's not there. That is there and we will hear plenty of that throughout this series because that is a major arc in this, this passage. Another, another aspect of this that we tend to preach in, in, the, in most churches is the older son. Don't be like the older brother. Don't be judgmental. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be holier than thou. Give grace and have patience toward those who are not as, as spiritual, who are not as, uh, as mature as you are. Treat them with love and kindness and respect and grace, right? That is, those are the two main ways we preach this passage. Now, I believe they're both in there, they both can be seen in this passage, but, but that is not what this passage of Luke chapter 15 is about. Luke chapter 15 is not about either one of the sons. Luke chapter 15 is about the father. Luke chapter 15 is about the father and his two sons, both of them. And I don't want to get into next week's message where we're going to look at this dynamic of both sons, of the, the father's heart, heart toward both sons. That sounds like a pirate, heart, uh, heart toward both sons. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, anyways, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to look at that this, this morning, but I, I want to look at what sparked this whole passage, what sparked these three stories that Jesus told, all revealing the heart of the father. The first thing that we see this morning is a scandalous dinner guest. There are scandalous dinner guests in this passage. Luke 15 begins with, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Note that, that word there beginning now. It's a, it's marker, it's a marker linking narrative segments. It's, it's not referring to the time. It's not saying at this point in the day. What it's saying is that what is a following is, is connected to what is preceding. So they're saying that, that in this moment of what was just happening, this is happening. We're, we're going to get to that in a little bit. So underline it, circle it, mark that in your Bible because that's going to that's come back in a moment. But, but look at, at who he says is, is there. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners. We have a group of people highlighted. 
There's a group of people here that are, are brought out. They're highlighted. We also have the Pharisees. We also have the scribes. We also have Jesus. But, but let's look at these two people, this, this scandalous dinner guest that's here, the Pharisees, the, I mean, the tax collectors and the, the sinners. And we understand we understand because we've been to church enough, we've, we've heard these phrases enough, even if this is your first time here, you've heard this idea enough to know that the tax collectors and the sinners are the bad people, right? They're the, they're the villains, they're the wicked ones, they're the ones that everybody should avoid. But let's look at these two a little more closely this morning, the tax collectors the tax collectors were mainly Jewish men who purchased from the, the Roman government the right to collect taxes and customs and tolls from, from the Jewish people. And they often went above what they, they, the required taxes were. They charged more than was required. And they, they dealt very, very shadily with the, the Jewish people. So they were, they were, they were crooks. They were, they were looked on as, as disgusting, despised people. They were greedy they were thieves. People did not like them. They did not appreciate them. And, and on top of that, their, their job, their job caused them, forced them to be in continual contact with, with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people, which made them ritually unclean. So they were of the most despised of people, the tax collectors. The Jewish people hated the tax collectors. And then if that wasn't bad enough, if that group of people wasn't bad enough, you have the sinners. The sinners, this, this term here really is referring to those who were the outsiders, the outcasts, the ones that were not welcomed in. They were, this, this kind of was, was composed of, of two types of people, right? You had the one who were, were wholly wicked, like their, their jobs caused them to be disgusting. Their jobs caused them to be sinners. Their jobs caused them to be, to, to, to be this, this defiled people, right? That's, that's what we, we saw them. They were, they were, they were given into, they, they gave themselves into to sin and to unholiness. They, that's, that's who this one aspect of this group of sinners. The other were those who were, were maimed, those who were diseased and disabled, See, the, the, in, in, in this time, disease and, and disability, if you had a, a sickness or if you were injured, you had some disability, it was, it was the, the thought was it was a punishment for a great sin. So they viewed people who, who were maimed, people who, who had disabilities, people who were diseased, they viewed them as great sinners. So really, this term, this term sinner referred to those who were morally and physically untouchables. They were unwelcome. They were, they were outsiders. They did not want them in with them, near them. So these, these two groups of people that we have here, these two groups of people that we, we have here 
are people that are the, the outcasts, the outsiders, the ones that nobody wanted around them. They, they, would, they were the ones that no self-respecting rabbi such as Jesus would, would draw near, would associate with. They were the traitors. They were the greedy. They were the prostitutes. They were the thieves. They were the maimed, the lepers, the diseased. There were all of these people who were avoided by the religious and they avoided the religious. They were the outcasts, the despised. They were unwelcome and unwanted. But it says that they were drawing near to hear him. They were drawing near to hear him. That, that phrase there, that term drawing near, is a, is a progressive tense. So, so it's not just saying that there was a group there. It, it is looking at this continual stream of people coming in to listen to Jesus. They were coming in to, to listen to, to Jesus. This was the norm for Jesus. Everywhere he went, people followed him. Everywhere he went, people were drawing near to him. Not just people, but the unwanted and the unwelcome, the outcasts, the outsiders, the ones that every other religious leader would say, no, you stay away from me. You were unclean. The ones that they would look at and they would yell, unclean and walk on the other side of the road to avoid those people were drawing near to hear Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus, a, a teacher, a rabbi, someone who, who was a religious, uh, respected person, the one who was from the group of people that they would avoid... One who typically, he was from the group of people who typically would avoid them altogether, but for some reason, they were drawing near continually to Jesus. And it was shocking. It was shocking that Jesus would be in this place with these people. And it was shocking that these people would be in this place longing to hear from this Man, why? Why were they drawing near to hear him? What was he saying that was so intriguing? What was he saying that was causing them to want to listen, to want to hear what he was saying? And this is where that, that now that we talked about earlier comes back into play. That now, he, this shows us that he was talking, what he was talking about that caused them to want to hear was what he was saying in chapter 14. So they were, they were drawing near to him during a conversation that he was having with the, the religious leaders. He was at a meal. In chapter 14, he begins in a meal with the, uh, one of, uh, the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And so it was in this context that Jesus was teaching and people began to draw near. And it was in this, this context that he was, he was unpacking what it means to be a true follower of his and in doing so, he began to redefine the gospel. He began to redefine 
the gospel. So I, I want to look back real quickly through chapter 14 and just outline what he was saying here that was redefining the gospel, that was, was so intriguing, that was so engaging that these people wanted to hear what he had to say. So in the first six verses, in the first six verses, Jesus is eating on a Sabbath, which is a holy day, in uh, the house of uh, uh, the leader of the Pharisees. And this man with dropsy comes in, this man with, with edema, this, this swelling due to a fluid buildup comes in and, and Jesus notices him. And so he asks the, the religious leaders that are there, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? And they don't really know what to say. They're not real sure what they should say. And so, so Jesus heals him and, and he begins to point out why he healed him. What, what was happening, why he, he healed him. So, so we, a be, a beginning of this, we see in the first six verses that Jesus touched somebody that he should not have touched. And he did work on a day that he should not have done work. He's already, in these first six verses, he's beginning to kind of break their idea of what this all means. And then in the next few verses, verses 7 through 11, he notices, it says that he notices how they chose the seats of, of importance, the places of honor. And so he begins to talk about places of honor. And he says that when you are, are invited to a house, you don't sit in the seat of honor. You sit somebody somewhere else and let them bring you to a place of honor. Don't sit somewhere and then somebody more honorable than you show up and they have to ask you to move out of that seat. What he's saying, he's talking about humility. He's talking about don't see yourself as more important than you are. Is this idea of self-importance versus, versus humility. Let somebody else, let somebody else uh, lift you up. Let them honor you, but you be humble. You be humble yourself. And then verse 12 through 14, he's, he's talking about when when you are inviting people to a dinner, he's, don't just invite your friends and the, the wealthy and those who can do for you, but invite those who cannot bless you. Invite those who cannot pay you back. Invite those who are less fortunate than, than you are. He's, he's, he's giving them this, this idea, this command to, to begin to think outside of yourself and what will benefit you and begin to think about what will benefit those around you. And then he moves, uh, he, he moves in verse 15 through 24, and he begins to clarify that he's talking about what it looks like in the kingdom of God. He, he clarifies that, that what I'm saying in this, in this, this conversation is, is a, a, a clarity on what is the kingdom of God, who is actually in the kingdom of God. And it's different than you might imagine. It's different than you might imagine. He tells a story of a man who, who throws a dinner party and, and he invites all of these people to come in. But one by one, they start to send excuses as to why they can't join him at this party. 
And, and he, the, 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 the landowner, the party thrower, he, he, he gets frustrated at this. That one is like, well, I just bought some new land. I can't come. And, and they have these reasons that, that they can't come to his party. And so then he sends his servant back out and he says, go into the cities. Go into the, the lanes and the streets of the cities and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And then he says, go out into the highways and the head and compel them to come in that my house may be full. And what he's saying here is he's shifting the whole mindset of who is invited to the party, who is invited into the kingdom. What he's saying is that those of you who think that you're good enough, those of you who think that you deserve this, those of you who have heard the invitation and have ignored the invitation because you are too busy, because you are too important, because you are doing and you are doing and you are doing and you have all of these things, you are not, you are not the ones anymore. Now it is these who are unwanted and unwelcomed. It is this outsider who is now invited in. And then he ends this chapter right here in, uh, in, in verses 34 and 35, showing the results of not clinging to the cross of Jesus, of not taking up your own cross, that if you do not respond to the invitation, right, if you are as those who heard the invitation and said, I'm too busy to come right now, now, he's, he's, he's sharing this is the cost of this. This is what happens if you do not, if you do not count the cost. If you do not take up your cross and, and follow me, what he says is basically, you, he says you're, you're like salt that has no flavor and it's thrown aside. So what he's saying is that it doesn't matter what your works are. It doesn't matter what you do. If they are not born out of the cross, they're useless for the kingdom of God and for your salvation. They're thrown aside and trampled underfoot. In this passage, we have this complete turnaround of what the kingdom of God is. Now it is an invitation to all who will come, but, that little section in there, but count the cost. Think about what it costs to be my disciple because it does cost you. There is a cost of being my disciple. Think through this. It's going to be difficult. He says that if you do not renounce all that you have, you, are, you cannot become my disciple. And it's into this conversation, it's into this teaching that these, these outsiders were drawn they were brought into this. They, they were intrigued by this. It was so different than what they had, had heard. It was so different than, than the gospel that they had heard preached from the Pharisees. Because the, the, the message that the Pharisees had preached was that, that it, was, it, it was about your works and about your efforts. And here are a list of things that you have to do. The kingdom of God is for those who are able to keep all of the rules and to keep themselves clean and to follow all of these things. That is who the kingdom of God is for. The gospel that they had heard preached was a gospel that was not for them. 
But then now Jesus was preaching a different gospel. He was preaching a gospel that was for them, that was geared specifically for them, that they too could be in the kingdom of God, that they had an invitation extended to them. And see, the gospel that, that Jesus preached wasn't just different than the gospel that the Pharisees preached, that they had heard. It's different than the gospel that we preach in our modern church as well, right? We preach a, a different gospel often in our church as well. There are, are two main false gospels in the modern church that, that we need to take a second to, to look at. First, uh, churches tend to, to, either, to either preach a moralistic, a moralistic self-help gospel. This is like, here are some tools. Here are some, some tools to help you live a better life. Here are some things that you can do from a Bible story, from a passage of the Bible that, that will help you live a better life, to live your, your best life. These are some things that you can follow today. Go home and do, do these things. You, you don't really even need the help of God to live this out. You just need to follow these rules. That is, that is one of the modern, modern messages, right? Right? That here are our tools to live your best life, some principles to live your, your best life. This is, this is, and we may not see it this way, this is a watered-down version of legalism. This is, this is a very watered-down version of, of legalism, which says God helps those who help themselves. Follow the rules to please God and to have a good life. That's the message, right? Follow all these rules, do all of these things, and God will bless you. See, now, the non-watered-down version of legalism is follow all these rules or else faith, face his wrath or face his judgment. Follow the rules, abide by the rules, or else. This new, this new uh, legalism is more palatable for our culture, and what it says is follow the rules not to, to avoid wrath, but to receive blessing. Follow the rules so that you can receive the blessings that God has for you. That is the, the modern legalism. Now, we still have the, the old legalism. We still have the old school legalism. Some of you still, still uh, subscribe to that, right? Sorry, that was harsh. But we do, right? There are these rules that if I don't follow these rules, God's going to punish me. If I don't follow these rules, I'm going to have the, the judgment of God harshly on me, and he's just looking for me to fall, and he's going to slap me around. Some of us still ascribe to that. Some of us ascribe to, the, to this, this newer, easier, here are some rules to have a better life, right? This is easier. This is better. This is what my generation of people like, right? I don't, don't talk to me about the mean God. Talk to me about the loving God. I can follow the rules, and, and, and God God's going to love me better, and he's going to be, he's going to be for me better, right? That's, that is the, the other side. But both of these are a legalistic gospel. I just want to be very clear. Both of these are a legalistic gospel. This is a false gospel. We do not follow rules to avoid wrath or receive blessing. That is not what this is about. But that is a main 
main false gospel that we hear in the church. The other false gospel that we hear in the church is one of affirmation. You are a beautiful, wonderful little snowflake and butterfly exactly as you are, and I love you exactly the way you are. God made you wonderfully. God made you perfectly exactly as you are. He didn't make a mistake with you. Yes, you mess up, but he knew that when he made you, and he accepts you, and he welcomes you, and he loves you just the way you are. We've heard that one, right? It's okay. It's okay that you, that you stumble. It's okay that you fail. It's okay that you sin. It's okay that you, you do all of these things because God loves you anyways, and he's, it's fine. God, God doesn't judge, and so neither do we. Just relax. You do you. Right? We've heard that. That's not the gospel. That's, that's, not, that's not the gospel. You, you shouldn't just be comfortable in who you were before you come into the family of God. You should not be comfortable with who you are as a sinner. That is not the gospel. Is not that it's okay to sin. That is not the gospel. Now, I know a minute ago when I said the affirming, a lot of us were like, absolutely, that's not the gospel. We automatically thought of this, this sexual identity, right? That's the big craze right now that obviously that's not the gospel, that you can't live that way. The reality is this gospel has been preached long before sexuality became the main conversation of our culture. This gospel, this false gospel, is that of the lazy and the self-important this is the gospel of, the, uh, of those who are only concerned about their self, is only concerned about my self-indulgent. I want to do what I want to do, and you will not tell me. You will not tell me what I can and can't do. So this gospel is easy for them. We've confused stumbling sins for submitting sins and somewhere we've begun to see them as the same thing. We are going to stumble. But the moment we transition into, ah, it's who I am. That's my struggle. Like it's a partner in crime. Like it's my little buddy. We take up my struggle. Ah, I'm a man. I'm going to struggle with lust. Ah, what can I do about it? We have submitted to sin, right? That's not the same thing as stumbling in sin, but we've made it the same thing. And then we created a gospel to make that okay. That God loves you even though you've submitted yourself to sin. God loves you even though you have just given in and you don't care that you are not abiding by the principles that God has for you. And I know that I'm contradicting myself right now. But I want to be, be very clear that these are the two extremes of the gospel, of the false gospel. We take a piece of the gospel and we twist it. And we make it not quite what it was meant to be. And then we make it the fullness of the gospel. We make it the fullness of the gospel altogether. But when we do that, we diminish the gospel. When we do that, we completely wreck the gospel. 
Because the gospel is not a list of rules to obey. The gospel is not, not license to sin or laziness. That is not, the, neither one of those are the gospel. And that's why we struggle with the gospel, because both of those make more sense to us than what the gospel actually is. See, the Pharisees, they, they preached the gospel that was, here are a bunch of rules that you have to follow. And because they, they had the gospel as these are the rules that you follow to please God, they, they, they couldn't handle Jesus's, his idea of allowing sinners and wicked, wicked outsiders to come into to him. And so they began to grumble amongst themselves, this man receives sinners and eats with them. How dare you? How dare you welcome them in, these wicked, awful people, into to yourself? How dare you do that? And they saw Jesus as, as removing judgment and removing any type of requirements. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not, he was not, he was not removing judgment from the whole situation. Jesus was not saying that, that you can come to me and I'm going to ignore the judgment that is, that is due to your sins. No, Jesus said that you come to me and I'm going to take that judgment upon myself. He, he welcomed the sinners in, not because, not be, because he wanted to ignore their sin. He welcomed them in because he wanted to take their sin upon himself. He wanted to be able to forgive them. He didn't ignore judgment by bringing them in. He actually took judgment upon himself in order to bring them in. This, so we have, we have here, we have the, the scandalous uh, guests, right? The scandalous dinner guests. And we have the redefining of the gospel that it is not about your efforts. It's not about your works. It is, it is about me, that I have taken all of this on myself so that you can come to me. And he invites them in. See, at the beginning of chapter 14, he's redefining who can come to him. And at the end of chapter 14, he's redefining what it means to come to him. That He doesn't say, follow all of my rules. What he says is, surrender to me. He doesn't say, keep all of these commands and all of these rules. He says, make sure that you are so consumed with me that it appears as though you hate every other person in your life. That's a bold statement. He says, if you don't give up everything to follow me, you can't be my disciple. What he's saying is that, that it's different to follow me than you think it is. People, who, who, people can come in who, who you didn't think should be able to come in, and living this life is very different than, than you think it is. So what he's really saying is that you come to me, be concerned with me, not the rules, be concerned with me, and in doing so, I will make you new. I will make you new. It makes it even more amazing that these people were drawn into this story when you realize what Jesus was saying is that anybody can come, but if you come to me, the invitation is not to an easy life, but to death. I don't, think we, I don't, I don't know if we, we caught that. He was inviting them to death, and the religious were like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. But the sinners and the outcasts were like, yes, tell me more. Because I don't know if, 
if you feel what I feel. But I want that sin to die. I want those things to be gone from my life. Someone who can say, come to me and I will remove that and make you new. I'm like, yes. See, the Pharisees thought they had it all figured out. They thought they could, figure, they, could, they could do it themselves. They thought that they could rescue themselves. But the sinners, they were like, oh, no, I can't do it. But this guy says he can. And in that, we have this unlikely relationship. This unlikely relationship where Jesus was inviting the outsiders, the outcasts, the ones who society had said, no, stay away from me. He was inviting them in and was saying that not only can you come in, but I'm going to make you new. You don't have to do anything, but follow me. Surrender to me. He was inviting them to die so that they might live. The Pharisees saw this as a removal of judgment, but Jesus was saying, no, I'm taking the judgment upon myself. The Pharisees were appalled that Jesus would lower himself to eat with the unclean, but Jesus was declaring that he wants to eat with the unclean because only he can make them clean. See, this idea of he... He is a friend of sinners, that he eats with, with sinners is not new. In, in chapter 5 of Luke, they asked him, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? They asked him, point blank, why do you do that? And Jesus' response is, they're the ones who need me. The healthy don't call a doctor, but the sick do. I eat with them because I need to eat with them because they need me. They, they need the, the ones who are hurting, the ones who are unclean, or the ones who need me. That is what Luke 15 is all about, is the heart of the Father toward those who are desperate for him, who are in need of him to make them clean. That is what this whole passage is about. It is not about either one of the sons, but it is about the heart of the father toward those who need him. And, and I'm just going to spoil this for the rest of the series. That's all of us. Every single one of us, the religious or the irreligious, we all need him. We are all desperate for him. So this morning, I have a couple questions. Another 45 minutes and then we'll go home. Do you see yourself in, in this, this story? Do you see yourself around this table? Do you, do you see yourself as... Maybe the, the tax collectors or the sinners and the, the outcasts, the outsiders, the, the sinful, the ones that, that, that you maybe walked in here this morning and you started looking around seeing who was looking at you, who was judging you, who was, who, who was making faces at how dare you come into this place. Is that you? Do you feel that? Maybe, maybe you're, you're not quite that extreme. Maybe, maybe you're, you're a little bit closer in, but, but you're still a sinner and you know it. 
You still mess up. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't stop sinning. Is that you? Do you see yourself in this this group of people, the tax collectors and the sinners? You see yourself as if everybody knew just who I am and what I've done. Is that you? Here's the good news this morning. Even if you are that, and you are the furthest extreme of that, because of Jesus, the gospel is for you. That even though you feel as though you can't stop sinning, that you can't not be that person, that you feel all of the judgment, all of the condemnation, all of the guilt, all of the shame, you feel all of that, the good news for you this morning is that today you can have forgiveness. Today you are welcomed into this relationship with Jesus if you And the even better news is actually really easy to come. It's really easy to follow him. It's really easy to step into this forgiveness. It's really easy to step into all that he has for you. All you have to do is simply confess that you are that and that you need help. God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I can't do this. Please help me. Confess that, and he will make you clean. Confess that, and he will make you new. You don't have to confess it to somebody else. Confess it to him. Here's an even better thing. Prayers under your breath work too. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just be like, God, I just, in your head. And he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse is that you this morning? Are you that outsider? Are you that awful, wicked person? Are you, maybe you, you're like, oh, that was too harsh. I'm not quite that far. But I do have sin in my life, and I need forgiveness. You can this morning. Don't wait. Receive that this morning. It's a gift. Or do you see yourself more as the, the religious and you find in yourself, maybe this morning you feel more convicted. Maybe, maybe you, you've noticed over time that the gospel you preach to yourself and those around you is different than the gospel that Jesus preached. Do you preach here are the rules that you have to follow? Do you preach these are the things that you have to do to appease God or to please God? Or do you preach it's okay to do what you want? Are you preaching a false gospel to yourself and to those around you? I just want to help you. If, it, if the gospel you're preaching is different than anything other than because of Jesus, because of Jesus alone, we can have forgiveness and help to follow him in obedience. It's the wrong gospel. It's not a gospel of laziness. 
or self-indulgent. It's not a gospel of law. It is a gospel of Jesus. Are you preaching a different gospel than Jesus did? I'm not just saying to those around you, we need to stop that. But are you preaching it to yourself? We put condemnation and guilt and shame on ourselves constantly because we preach a wrong gospel. We live outside of what God wants for us constantly because we preach the wrong gospel. What gospel are you preaching to yourself and to those around you? So the invitation for each of us this morning and for the rest of this series is simply this. Come to Christ and die so that you may live. Come to Christ and die so that you may live. And that is for every single one of us in this room, from the most unholy to the holiest, from the most unrighteous to the most righteous in this room. We all are called to come to Jesus and die so that we might live. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, states that, to, um, states that the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. Invitation is extended. Come to Jesus to die so that you might live. God, I thank you so much that you offer life, that you offer forgiveness, that you offer help. God, I pray that you would bring conviction where we need it. Bring help where we need it. I pray that you would bless and move and challenge and strengthen us. Help us, God, to be brave enough. Help us to be brave enough to come to you to die so that we might live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Would you stand with me and receive this benediction, this good word, and then remember we have the vote, so go get your ballots and your kids and then come vote. Receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.